Today's scripture reading comes from James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear fruits? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Good morning, Metro. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. If you are near, new, um, you know, we invite you guys immediately after worship um, is a time of fellowship and gathering, and we would love to just get to know you guys a little bit more immediately after service, so feel free to stick around and just, uh, uh, we would encourage you guys to just plug in within our church and just the life of the church. We are um, glad that you are here with us. Um, right now, we are currently going through our sermon series, The Gospel According to James. The book of James is considered to be uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book of wisdom. Uh, what does it mean to live accordingly to the gospel that you were convicted of? And what does it mean to respond within the context of community and the city? And as a result, we will learn in the book of James more about the gospel, about people, what it means to do justice, to love mercy within a city context. I want to ask that you guys would join me in prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Lord God, we thank you. We come before you. We honor you. Lord, for you are God and you are good. And I just pray at this time, Lord God, that out of desperation, that will, you would use me, Lord God, greatly. Lord God, for when we declare that we are weak in our finiteness, we are broken in our sin, your gospel is true. And Lord God, you are almighty and strong. So Father, I pray that you will use me, Lord, as an empty vessel to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be used by you. Lord God, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord God, I pray that everyone be awakened to your word. May we be receptive to what you have to say, Lord God, for your glory and your namesake. Lord God, 
I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So may you use me accordingly to your strength. We thank you. We honor you. We give you all of the glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Large number of Koreans have been emigrating to the United States ever since 1975. And the reasons for immigration were many, including the hope for a better economical opportunity. However, speaking a new language in an unknown territory and without a credit history, immigrants often couldn't find banks willing to risk a loan. A better opportunity in some ways remained very, very distant. So, Korean immigrants, they began to rely on an informal financing network to get them started. Now, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. I even asked my mom to pronounce it for me for five minutes straight. A gay is a rotating credit association common among the Korean immigrant community. A leader would gather a group of 15 to 25 people and each month contributed a few hundred dollars to this central pot. The lump sum between $1,000 and would possibly go up to $20,000 would go to each member on a rotating basis depending on the need for new housing and new businesses. See, it was important for this Korean community to gather in trust and commitment for the benefit of someone's advancement in a land of new culture, language, and lifestyle. See, there's a great significance that community played in terms of movement for the Korean immigrant. And in the same way, there is a significant role that community must play in terms of the movement for the Christian. Scripture makes it clear that the Christian narrative must be within the context of community. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25 declares, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. James chapter 3 tells us the power of community for the Christian. There are three points for us today as we dive into the word. It is the power of community, the problem in community, and the praise with community. The power, the problem, and the praise. The first point we have here is the power. Read verse 1 with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because we know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, James chapter 3 is continuing the theme of doing the word. And here, James is focusing on the role of the teacher, as teachers in James's day were noteworthy. This was during a period where few could actually read. 
So all the more Christians were attracted to the ministry of teaching. The teacher in the early church was entrusted with this crucial task of teaching the scriptures that bound the community together. And as a reinforcement of this warning, James says, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, clearly, James is not saying that the teachers are going to receive a worse punishment than other Christians. But what James is making plain for us is this. As a teacher, one should be of the utmost integrity and character, for there is a microscope on your life, teaching, and legacy. That's why in verse 2, it tells us, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. See, James is acknowledging that all Christians stumble. The verb stumble in the Greek is a metaphor for sinning and is not to be taken lightly. That's why in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus declares, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large milestone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. See, Jesus makes it clear about stumbling others, for there is a great judgment that is deserved. What's interesting is this. The rest of the passage, the rest of chapter 3, actually makes no reference to a teacher. So many commentators argue about this passage that James intends to include all his readers. So the we in verse 2 is referring to not just teachers, but all Christians. Meaning, teacher or student, if you are a believer son and daughter of God, we are all held accountable. Just as teachers are judged on the role of bounding the community together through doctrine, all believers, in fact, are to be held accountable on their role of bounding their community together through truth and love. Beloved church, this leads us to the very simple question. Do you ever consider the possibility that you are stumbling someone within this room because of what you have ignorantly said out of your own selfishness rather than uplifting one in godly selflessness? May Scripture convict you to reflect and repent on the stumbling impact you have towards the brother and sister that is sitting right next to you. That's why in verse 3 and 4 it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now here... James is giving us a few illustrations, and it's in these illustrations he's focusing on this control that is exercised by a person through a small object on a large body. So we see the bit to the horse, the rudder to the ship. 
And James is leading to the point of the incredible power of one's speech within the context of community. Read verse 5 with me. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Just as the bit determines the direction of the horse and the rudder to the ship, the tongue can determine the de destiny of the individual. This is the power of community. You and I are meant to be a community where we are to hold one another accountable through the word we are teaching, encouragement, repentance, and counseling exist. Ed Welch, in his book, Side by Side, says it this way. We were meant to walk side by side, an interdependent body of weak people. God is pleased to grow and change us through the help of people who have been recreated in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. This is how life in the church works. See, in community, we should be empowering others because of the Spirit that empowers us. If I can say it this way, if you believe that the power of the gospel saved you, it's the same power of the gospel that demands to use you. And we reflect this within the context of deeper relationships and intimate community. But the reality is it's never that easy. It sounds good, doesn't it? But how difficult it actually is to do. And James tells us that there is a problem at hand. Look at verse six, 5 and 6 with me. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now here, James focuses on the problem of discord within the community and how it actually begins with one's tongue. In Proverbs and other Old Testament literature, uh, there's a real issue regarding one's uncontrolled speech. Proverbs Proverb 16, chapter 27, 16 verse 27, excuse me, tells us, A scoundrel plots evil, and on their lips it's like a scorching fire. See, James is now referring to the tongue as a world of evil that can cause an entire fire. This image was often used to convey the warning about one's unrestrained and worldly passions. See, because of our selfishness and our self-absorption, we're likely to destroy community rather than to build it. A German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says it this way, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself becomes destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may ever be for honesty and sacrificial. See, we destroy 
true biblical community with our personal desires of what we want from community. If I can say it this way, people always want friends. We always want gatherings. We always want encouragement. But we never want to do anything with difficult conversations, difficult people, correction, and confrontation about sin. See, you and I, we are innately selfish people with selfish motives, and we desire to correct rather than to be corrected. We are more susceptible to create discord than unity. Our tongue is a world of evil. So it's funny that the power that actually fuels community is actually the poison. Read verse 7 and 8 with me. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What naturally comes from our tongue is poison. It's this deadly poison that stems from our insecurity our lack of self-control, our self-righteousness, our foolishness, and it leaks like a broken faucet through one's speech. Listen, in the context of community, your sin is never just yours. It doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you, and it spreads like a wildfire amongst the parts of the body. Allow me to explain. When I was no more than 10 years old, I had a dear best friend. He was a little bit more on the crazier side. He was a very rebellious, angry, and if I'm honest, he was completely out of pocket. And uh, despite my best friend's wishes, uh, we were the closest of friends. We hung out every single day. Now, one very windy day in particular, my friend takes out of his pocket a book of matches. I don't know why, he just did, and I'm young. I said, press, pretty cool. Anyways, what he did was he lit a match up and he threw it on the ground, one after another, until he ran out. Well, the story continues. I remember I had to step out for a few minutes, went back to the house, and as soon as I opened the door, I saw on the corner of my left eye this skinny little child running like the wind. And as I looked to my right, my eyes witnessed what verse 5 says, a great forest set on fire by a small spark. I looked to my right, and my lawn was in flames. So I did the first logical thing that came to my mind. I closed the door. (laughs) I was young at the time. I didn't know. I was hoping that the wind would blow it away. As I closed the door, I remember my grandmom just seeing me in panic and anxiety. So she decides to open the door And she sees this lawn on flames. She begins to panic. 
I would then see my neighbors across the street run over. I see my neighbors run, uh, on the side of me come over and in panic, but in a joint effort, some teamwork, a lot of water, the fire would be put out. The damage was done. Uh, it wasn't just my lawn, but it was also my neighbor's lawn that was uh, connected, probably kind of like to the size of this entire stage. Our green grass was burnt and black for weeks, all because of one book of matches, some wind, and two kids that knew no better. In the same way, it only takes one word, winds of gossip, that will bring destruction onto community. If the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, your sin is never just your own. In the context of community, your poison does not just destroy you, but it destroys the ones that surround you. See, the problem of community is that the poison that resides in every man and the uncontrolled desires that burn amongst us will destroy us. So what is the hope? Verse 9 and 10, the praise. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and curse. And my brothers and sisters, this should not be. When we look at verse 9 and 10, it's important to note, to curse someone in ancient times is not just to swear at someone. Whenever you see this type of cursing, it's actually the cursing upon the human being um, in, it's in the sense that there's a desire uh, for uh, God to cut him off. When you curse someone in biblical times, it's the hope that that person would receive eternal punishment. And what James is saying here is that with the same tongue we use to praise God, it's the same tongue that curses people to eternal damnation. So James, he gives us a few illustrations to prove this point. If you look at verse 11 and 12 with me. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers and sisters? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, what's interesting in verse 11 is to note that water in dry Palestine was important for the very existence of a village. It was critical for fresh water springs to produce only fresh water, meaning for many, life depended on fresh water to stem from a spring. And James makes it very clear, we, in our sin, we naturally produce not fresh water, but salt water. And it's this salt water that does not offer or give any type of life. So the question remains, where is our hope in community? Rather, who? Jesus Christ declares in John chapter 3, verse 14, 
But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. The water I give him will become in him a fount of water springing up to eternal life. Beloved church, Jesus Christ is the living water. He is the very word of God. He became flesh and he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shivers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Although Jesus Christ was pure water, Jesus Christ intentionally defiled himself by swallowing the poison of the world. Jesus Christ would be cursed to damnation even though we are the ones that curse. Jesus Christ would be mocked even though we do all the mocking. Jesus Christ, he intakes Every single word of corruption since Genesis chapter 3 into his body, he absorbs the poison, the salt water, and on the cross, God would destroy the poison through his body. And now in him, we are declared cleansed, and now we can give him praise. Jesus Christ Although once in fullness with the Father, he would pour himself through silence. So now you and I can pour unto others through voice. If I can say it this way, the silence of Jesus Christ brings us into the sound of grace. What does that mean for us? It means that you and I, we can be honest about our sin and suffering. But at the same time, we can also confront and counsel within the context of community. As theologian Sinclair Ferguson beautifully puts it, he died in silence, bearing our sins that we might go in triumph and speak his name. In him, let the community of God come in with the tongue of praise knowing we deserve the cursing that we constantly wish upon others. I'll conclude with this, and I'll be out your way. Now, I often, too, find myself asking God, where would I be without your people? Personally, in my restoration plan from God himself, Never would I have thought that community would be a means of grace. Never would I have thought that community would play such an important role within my faith. I came to this church in particular very uncertain about my life. But it would actually be through this very community I would experience grace and renewal As I depended on the Lord more and more, he allowed me to depend more and more on his people. I never forget when I came to the realization that I was to be a divorced man. And I remember in my shame 
anger and agony and brokenness. I remember I didn't know what to do, but I did remember coming to the Lord in prayer and petition. But immediately after that prayer and petition, I remember the first thing I did. And I remember I called Pastor Donnie. I remember on that phone call I wept. He comforted. But not only was there weeping, there would be eventually much walking. Not only was there much walking, there would be much repentance, revival, and restoration. I came to this building for a spiritual pit stop, and by grace, he blessed me with a community of restoration. We are as what Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So what does it mean for us today, beloved church? See, it means this, that Jesus Christ, he gave up not only his tongue, he gave up his entire body. In the same way, we have to give ourselves into the community of Christ just as he perfectly did for us. What does that mean? It means, church, my encouragement for you guys is to get a little deeper. Be more involved. Be more intimate. Be more plugged into the context of community. I'll be very clear. You cannot do this on your own. It wasn't meant to be that way. That was not God's system of community and faith. But it was through community, in faith, he caused us to be his people. Living in isolation is the worst thing you could possibly do. So may the same gospel that brought you into his glorious light be the same power that brings you from isolation to community. I'm going to ask that you guys would join me in prayer at this time.